Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Both of them are in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to spend a lot of time on a couple of really important verses there so that when you walk away, you'll know what these verses mean like you've never known them before. And we're also going to look at John chapter 1. I'll grab a couple of verses out of there and you're going to see something that I think some of you, maybe most of you have never seen before. While you're turning there, uh, let me give you uh, another event for you to put on your calendar Uh, It's coming up on February the 1st. That's a Sunday, and it's called Heart for the House. That'll happen on Sunday night. We're going to take a moment to celebrate all of the things, or at least many of the things, that God did for us as a church family uh, in 2022. And we're going to also cast a vision beyond just the theme that you heard last Sunday, but we're going to cast a vision for 2023, let you know where we believe the Lord's leading us as a church. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it's spiritual for sure, but it gets a little more down in the practicals. We'll roll out some things financially uh, that the Lord's done and where we're headed as a church. And, and uh, you'll see some practical things that are happening in ministry. So especially for those of you that are a little more administrative, uh, kind of a little more uh, in the assessments, the analysis, or you like to know what the structure of the church is, and this is your opportunity on a Sunday night. Won't take a lot of your time, but I promise you it'll be time well spent Uh, Heart for the House, February the first Sunday. Uh, Join myself and the rest of our team here uh, as we roll something out for you. Well, last week was a really big Sunday, not just because it was, uh, you know, it was among the first in January, but it was a really big Sunday because we introduced a theme that we felt the Lord has been putting on our heart as pastors for 2023. We also introduced a collection of studies that we're going to be running through this first season, so that'll take us all the way through Easter, a collection of three different studies that, that we believe the Lord's going to help us to, to begin to establish this theme. So the theme was a heart for the house and hands for the harvest. And I added a little kind of a subscript on there for me personally. This is a call, or for some of us, it's a recall to active or back to active discipleship. First part, heart for the house, is a call for our spiritual family to realign ourselves back in devotion, back to God first, then to God's house and his spiritual family that he's planted you in. And this is where we've called to become disciples. Uh, it's not a secret. It's all over the secular news. It, I mean, it's, you're, you're aware of it. You're seeing other people. Maybe you're self-aware enough to know that it impacted every single one of us when, when we had COVID and then through the post-COVID. And we're still trying to understand how to recapture those rhythms. Literally, the entire globe was disrupted. I don't mean just because we had, you know, uh, restrictions and, and, uh, and quarantines and those things, but it was all the ripple effect. And in our personal lives, in our relationships, and, and in our rhythms and disciplines that we'd established, many of those were spiritual. They all just got turned upside down. 
And for, for maybe a few people, that was a good thing. They got to really focus in and, and they came out of it, you know, actually better. But for the majority of people, some of those things were so out of whack and, and, and we never really discovered how to get those rhythms back. Some of that is still affecting church. We, we still have people that are part of our church. I, I, I just met one in, in, uh, in Walmart. My wife and I were there. Hey, Pastor, how are you? And say, listen, we, we so enjoy. We watch you online every single week. We're part of the church family, but we haven't been there in eight months. And, and you know, they're not wearing masks or anything. And, and, you know, hopefully they're not watching right now in our online service. And if you are, you know that I love you. It's not personal. This is just kind of to point something out is that we still haven't got up these rhythms. And, and fortunately, the conversation before we finished, they said, we really need to get back. And I said, boy, we really would like for you to. We really want you to. And, and it's for some people, it's just falling off rhythms. And those disciplines, those rhythms are really hard to create and certainly hard to recreate. So we're calling our, our church back and saying, this is really important. It's not just our idea. It's not just, hey, we miss you. It'd be great if, you know, we had more people coming. Uh, but but we, we know who the Lord's called us to. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, our job as pastors is to remind our church, to be in remembrance ourselves, but to remind our church, as we continue to see the last days unfold, whatever you do, do not stop coming to church in person. That's my paraphrase, but I'm not out of context because we need one another and we need to be in the presence of the Lord to be refreshed. Listen, we're going to need to hear God's voice more than ever before. The world's becoming more complex. We don't need to be afraid, but we need to be sober and we need to be spiritually sensitive to hear God's voice and be able to watch over and encourage and, uh, and, 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 uh, and help protect those that are in, in our circle, those that are our loved ones. And so that's one of the ways we do it. And then hand for the harvest is it's not just about us and no more, but we're called as believers to get involved bringing in what the Bible calls a harvest. And really that just means reaching people for Christ. There's people out there who, who need to be warmed who need to be reminded, reignited. They, they were saved early on. They used to be in church. Something happened. They got hurt or they got distracted and they drifted. We need, those people need to be rescued. There's some people that have never met Jesus and, and they're desperate for him. They're going to grow more desperate as the days get darker and they'll crave that somebody would turn the light on. And the Bible's really clear. We're the lights of the world that are reflecting the light of the world, and that's Jesus. And so we're going to learn how to do that, but we have to remind ourselves that's part of our assignment so we don't get lost just making sure that we're feeling great and our family's doing great, and we forget about it's not just to us, it's through us to other people. And so we're, going to, we're asking the Lord to help us to, to learn how to do that. And the way we're going to do it is, in the first part of this, is through a collection of studies that are just focusing on this idea of a theology of place. And I know because it has the word theology in it, some, some people are like, ah, that's one of those, you know, real deep biblical study things. Well, it's definitely deep, but it's super relevant. We're going to talk about the importance of three primary places that God's designed that each of our life should be regularly interacting with. I mean, these should be the main three stopping places. And those three places are the secret place, and then the gathering place and the public place. And we introduce what those are, but we went straight to the secret place last week and we're gonna be back there again this week. Last week we said the secret place is where we meet daily and deeply with God for the purpose of growing in knowing him 
and being freshly filled and empowered by his spirit. We, we need that internal strength. We need that personal relationship, not just words on a page, but we need that to be imprinted in our heart and for us to know that God is real and he's really with us and he really wants to do things to partner with us so that his plan can happen. Well, we kind of pressed in a little further and we found out that the secret place is, at a, is a time and a place where we've made an intentional decision to open up the deepest part of who we are. You all have those secret places in your life. Those are the things that, that are deep, deep inside that you might not have shared with anybody ever. Some of us have, have developed relationships maybe with a spouse, maybe with a confidant, maybe we have a best friend. And at times we've opened up those secret vaults in our heart and says, I don't think I've told anybody this. And we share something that is so personal and so vulnerable, so precious that it almost feels fragile coming out of our mouth. In fact, there's almost at times a regret. Once we say it, we're kind of glad we say it, but all of a sudden we feel very vulnerable, like, ah, now they know something about me, and, 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 and there's an uncomfortability because we've let somebody in so deep. Those are the secret places. In fact, last week I gave you an illustration about uh, something that, that I've, I've shared with my wife uh, a number of times, and that is out of the seven and a half billion or so, you know, the stats are, they vary, people that are on the earth right now. There are things that I can say to my wife that I'm literally not allowed to say to anybody else. There are things that are so intimate and so personal that in a covenant of marriage, I, I, I can say these things to her. But if I were to say them to any other human being out of seven and a half billion people on the earth, if I were to say them to any other human being, there would be a violation and everybody would know it. See, that, that's secret place stuff. And, and when we go into the secret place with God, this is your time to open up the deepest part of you are of who you are to stop trying to be religious and stop trying to convince him that you know you're actually a good person but you know you've done bad things or you haven't done the good things and here's why stop negotiating all that stuff and go in and out of everybody who's ever lived of all times share some things that are deeply deeply personal with the creator of the universe with your heavenly father because there's literally not anybody else in existence that you can share that with. Now, if you can kind of wrap your head around that, if you can begin to say, that, yeah, that actually makes sense, then let me share something else that will just kind of blow you away, right? The reason this is important because there are things that your heavenly father wants to share with you that he can't share with one other person that's ever existed. They're too personal. Remember, he's the one who wove you together. See, see, we think this is a, just a generic kind of a cookie cutter relationship. Well, the words of God are for everybody. That's true. But the personal nuances of how the Lord communicates those things to you, listen, out of the 750 or 7, 7 billion people that are on the earth right now, and we'll just include all the people that ever existed, there are things your heavenly father can only say to you. And I'm telling you, you're desperate to hear him. Some of you have no idea what it's like to be in a secret exchange with God and hear him whisper to you, I'm so proud of you. 
And even when you hear it, it's like, well, yeah, I didn't hear you right because look at all the things that I'm still working on. Look at the things we were just talking about, you know, five minutes ago, I was sharing with you my pain and, and my struggle and, and, and the things that I'm, work, that I'm working on. I just, I got to get back. I was sharing all that with you. And your response to me is, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. Listen, we're desperate. We're desperate to hear that. So much so that we're trying to create scenarios that we can hear it from individuals that were never meant to speak to that level, that, that depth in our heart. We're trying to hear that from our spouse and we get frustrated because no matter how hard they try, it's still not deep enough because that space that needs to be filled wasn't intended to be filled up by your spouse. It can only be filled up by your heavenly father who wants to speak. This is what the secret place is all about. This is what we're learning about and why this is so important and so precious. I'm telling you, once you begin to understand this, all of a sudden your devotions will never again be a checklist, ever. Now they're this privilege, this opportunity to come and meet daily throughout the day and to hear these little instructions, these little affirmations, these little encouragements and hear things from the heavenly father that will just bolster you up and kind of keep you moving forward in his plan. This is what God's saying. Listen, uh, we're doing 30 for 30. If you haven't done that yet, uh, uh, my encouragement would be pick up a card, go pick up a journal in the welcome center and jump in. By the way, some of you who are very linear and black and white are like, well, we're two weeks into it. We, you know, we can't really do 30 days now. This is not just for the first year. You can do this over and over every month, or you can start at any time. This is just to help us to begin to get back into some kind of a habit to put us in a regular stream of conversation. And the Bible says that if you'll taste and see, you'll find out that the Lord is so good. The reason 30 for 30 works is because if you just give it 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day, I, I, don't, I just don't believe you'll stop there. I think that 30 minutes, you'll be grasping for 45 to an hour. You'll say, hey, Lord, I'm not finished yet, but I got to go to work. So come talk to me while I'm in the car. And, and you'll begin to realize what it's like to have an ongoing relationship. And this is what God wants. And, and if you want some extra help with that, let me invite you to, to a Wednesday night class. Uh, Pastor Brandon has been teaching it. Uh, my wife and I have been attending it. Really, really good. Uh, and it'll help you to know how to get your devotion started and how to begin uh, kind of this whole um, exchange with the Lord. All right, so today we're, we're going we're gonna to hone in even further in the secret place, and we're going to look at the power of God's Word. The primary element that needs to go with us into our, uh, into our secret place time are the words of God. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean ink on a page, although that's what we hold and we say, this is the Bible, it's the word of God. True, but we're talking about when these words come off the page and these words are the initiations of a conversation with us. These are the things that God is speaking to us, has already spoken to us, will never change his mind, will never go back and rephrase and reword. We have multiple translations to help us to understand what God originally said. And we're, I ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17, and we're not going to rush through it, but we're going to walk through and say, what does this really mean? Because when the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, and then it lists all these categories, for some of us that have been in church a while, we just kind of see that as, you know, the instructional manual. 
that, well, you know, this is our primary textbook and we get everything out of there. And there's a truth to that, but it's such a shallow surface level truth. It was never meant to be just rote. It was never meant to be just instructionary, just kind of a set of principles and and governing guidelines and spiritual laws that we attend to. That was Old Testament stuff, especially New Testament. This means something totally different. And so we're going to begin to walk through it. So let's, let's start and just capture that first part. All scripture has been given by inspiration of God. Did, did you know that something shifted in the last probably five years more intensely and intentionally than I've seen in my whole lifetime? And that is that for centuries, mainstream Christianity has fully embraced the word of God as, as God's actual words. Like this was the defining uh, standard. If, if it was in the Bible, we believe it. If it's not in the Bible, we're questioning it. We're trying to understand it. And, uh, and if you're new to Lakeshore, in case you haven't noticed already, we strongly agree to that. We have this unflinching conviction that the word of God is so precious and so important, so powerful that we lean in and I, you'll never get a message that I'm aware of uh, that I have anything to do with. Uh, at Lakeshore that isn't based on the word of God, not some little tiny scripture. And here's a bunch of philosophy and inspiration, but we want to know what did God say? Because when you can hear God speak to you, that settles everything. And so we're looking again at what Paul said. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we have to look at that word inspiration in the Greek. It's the word theonoustos, literally God breathed, God breathed. And what it's trying to communicate is that every time we open the Bible, we literally have an opportunity to receive something as if God were standing there speaking close enough to you where you can feel the breath reverberate off of his words. In other words, God is, is in, he's infused his words with parts of himself, parts of his heart. It's not just like words on a page that, that logically, that has a spiritual rationale, but all of the passion, all of the strength, all of the dedication, all of the commitment that a vow, that, that a contract, that a covenant from God, all of it's embedded into the word of God. And so we really believe, and the New Testament says this, that the words of God literally contain the presence, contain the life, contain the, the essence, if you will, of God himself. Hebrews chapter four literally says, the word of God is alive. The word of God is active or activated Whenever we open it up and we receive it as a beginning point in a conversation with God. But let me add something else in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, but you need to realize that no one alone can understand any of the prophecies in the scripture. Now, now let me just say, when, we, when, when it says the prophecies in the scripture, we're not talking about something that foretells the future. It's actually the Greek word that talks about a declaration of God's will, a declaration of how God thinks, of what God's established. And so that, that's this particular Greek word. It means this is what God has established. It came straight out of his heart. He's not changing his mind. He's thought it through. This is the way he says it goes. And it says we have to understand that's not up for any personal interpretation. God wants everybody to understand what he's written in the Bible, but it goes on and says the prophets and in the New Testament, we can, we can add the apostles or the pastor or whoever the authors were 
of these different books that we have now in this collection that we call the Holy Bible did not think these things up on their own, but they were guided by the Spirit of God. Now, here's where some people try to, to, to parse this back and forth, but here's what the Bible's communicating. Even though God used various men to write these sacred scriptures over the history of mankind, some in the Old Testament, uh, some, some in the New Testament, even though God used them, and even though they had different writing styles, you, you can almost identify if you're familiar with the person. Uh, some scholars still disagree, like who wrote the book of Hebrews because there's nuances and voice inflections that sound like it's from Paul, and, and somebody says, no, it can't be because then they write this over here. That's got some more of a Barnabas thing. It's, it's got to be Barnabas, and, and there, there, there's those kind of arguments back and forth because he, the author didn't introduce himself specifically in the letter. However, even though there's all these distinctives that would identify the people that were writing, the Bible helps us to understand over and over again, it was always at all points, at all times, the Holy Spirit who was inspiring and directing the things that they wrote. And that's why we can come back and we can be absolutely assured that all scripture really was given right from the very breath of God himself, the inspiration of God. And that's why Paul can go on and finish this little descriptive where he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and we can say and therefore is profitable and notice what it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man, let's just be fair, and the woman... He's talking mankind, not just male, the male uh, gender, but so that the man and woman of God can be complete, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, we don't have time to study it this morning, but you can just skip through the pages of, of your Bible and you'll find out that the word of God really is kind of this complete package for every single thing we need. In other words, God didn't leave anything off the table that we need to, in order to shape and strengthen our life so that God could come in and do what he wants to do in us and through us. So we find out that the Bible says we're clean. We, we get clean through the word of God. Our hearts get scrubbed down. We're strengthened by the word of God. We obtain faith and confidence from the word of God. We're sanctified or we become set apart, unique to how God's called us to be for God's purpose through the word of God. We, we fight spiritually. The weapons we've been given are not this, these, you know, these passionately unbridled, the weapons are governed and the weapons are fortified by the word of God. We got our new birth because of the promises of the word of God and our entering into that covenant. We're fed and nourished by the word of God. And, and, we're, and we overcome Satan by, by the word of God. And we could just go on and on and on. But all of these things are part of building us up and strengthening us. And that's exactly what 2 Timothy was talking about. But let me add one more thought to this whole theonoustos, out of God's, God's, God's breath, out of God's mouth, so, so personal. And that's where we get John chapter 1, verse 1. And then for, for time, we're just going to look at verse 14 and kind of bookend them together. But here's what it says. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Skipping to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. 
I was listening to a message one time by Pastor Jack Hayford. Uh, for those of you that know of him, uh, he, and maybe you don't know, but he just passed away uh, last Sunday morning, actually, while we were in church. Uh, he passed away early, early in the mornings. But in this particular message, he was referring to a book that had been written in 1912 by a Scottish Presbyterian preacher called Ian McPherson. For those of you that have some Foursquare background, no relation to Amy, something McPherson that I'm aware of, he certainly didn't mention it. Uh, but it was a Scottish Presbyterian preacher, and he wrote this book that was well published at the time. And the book was called The Burden of the Lord. And in this particular book, Reverend McPherson brings out that the term word in John 1.1, and again in John 1.14, from the Greek language is the word logos. And it literally means something that was declared or something that was established. It's not necessarily something in the moment. It's something that, whether this was long established and everybody understood it, but he really honed in on the next phase of the language interpretation, which went from the Greek for English at least and went into the Latin. And he points out how the Latin word for this particular term is the word sermo. It's where we get the word sermon or the word message. And he began to unfold in this book how when we under, begin to understand that, we can see a pattern that develops through the Bible. And that is that every beginning in God's kingdom starts with a word, starts with something that God declares starts with a message that God brings to an individual or to a group of people. Everything does. And it's easy for us to trace this, right? We can go all the way back to Genesis 1.1. And the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You say, well, how did he do that? Read the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter is this repeating pattern over and over and over again. God said something, and then God did something. He created something. And then God stood back and saw something and said, yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really good. And then he turned around and he said something else. And then he started doing something else. And then he stood back and he said, oh yeah, that, that's, that's really good. And then he turned around and he did this over and over and over and over again. In other words, we can see it like actually happening that God will say something and then will God will begin to do something to back up what he was saying to develop and cultivate that. And then at some point you can actually see something that God originally said that you couldn't see before, but now all of a sudden it has form, it has you know, a, a, a shape, it has a substance to it, and you can actually see what God did. In fact, we see it amplified the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where the Bible says in chapter 1, we're going to make man in our own image. Chapter 2, he kneels down, gets in the mud, and the Bible says he formed man's body. Now listen to this. It wasn't just enough to form his shape. That's good. Boy, yeah, that looks good. That, that's going to be a good, good structure, good skeleton for him. But then the Bible says that he breathed into man the breath of life. And when he did, the lights came on and man came alive. Did you know that that Hebrew expression for he breathed into him is the same expression we get in 2 Timothy 3.16 out of God's breath. God literally just exhaled into him. Everything that God was, his essence, and all of a sudden, man opened up his eyes and sat up, and he was alive for the first time. 
already filled with, with the essence of God, already filled with the word of God. And then we find out that, that God began to visit them every single day, both him and Eve, and started teaching them stuff, kind of renewing their mind and, and helping them to understand certain nuances and beginning to, to put more of himself. But it was always words and then doing something and then seeing something. This is a pattern. Then we find in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve sinned. And the first thing God did collectively was to come in and, and the Bible said God started talking again. And God promised them this is not the end. He promised them that a savior would come one day. And he would fix this whole mess that, that now has now been tangled first by an enemy and then by a man's decision to give in to what the enemy was trying to get him to do. He said, I'm going to do this. Well, you can pretty much uh, fast track the rest of the Old Testament because the rest of the Old Testament, God continues to speak and to preach and to prophesy and to work works through the prophets to little by little unfold chapter after unchapter of his promise of redemption to move all of that forward as he's building and developing until at some point when the time was right in a little obscure town called Bethlehem, the word, the message that God had spoken in Genesis and had been rehearsing and building and adding line by line, that message suddenly took on flesh and Jesus was born. That's literally what John 1, 1 means. That God started with a message with a promise. And over the course of all this time, the promise kept building with more promises and, and more insights and, and more prophetic promises and words. And, and at some point, everything that needed to be spoken and God was working through people and on people and setting things up. And at some point, the speaking and the creating was done. And the Bible says in Bethlehem, a little baby was born. Well, the reason you have to understand that is because his conclusion was that God's pattern hasn't changed. He still does it the same way. Remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God continues to speak his life into our life through preaching and teaching and reading and studying. And we gather the promises of God and we see uh, prophetic insights and, and things that are nuanced to us and to our life in the particular context of his word. And as we begin to, to, to lean into that, every secret place encounter with the word of God literally initiates this, this process where the Holy Spirit, like he did to this young girl named Mary, impregnates us with the living word of God. And as we begin to keep showing up and having conversations about that, and, and we begin to keep journaling about it, and we begin to pray and, and ask the Lord to help us to begin to align our life, little by little, that pregnancy begins to, to, to develop and grow and nurture until some, at some point, everybody knows because you can't stop talking about it. Man, you're so out to here with a promise of God that you, I'm just trusting the Lord for this. No, I'm working towards this because I, I, God's been speaking to me and this is what I'm doing. And at some point, Every single one of us will experience those little Bethlehems, plural. And the words that God spoke to us at one point will all of a sudden take on flesh. And we'll step out one morning and we're in a whole different ballgame. Our whole life has changed. This is why the secret place is so important. 
It's in those secret places. Now, I, I could just go in, you know, even a little more graphic with you, but I'll, I'll spare you the details at this point, and I'll let you kind of think through. When you understand things like the Greek word for worship is proskuneo, and pros means to come face to face in a very close and an intimate manner, and the word kuneo means to adore or to worship. And when you begin to understand the word proskuneo in a literal sense, in secular society meant to kiss passionately face to face. You begin to understand the intimacy that happens, not out in public, not on the grand stage, but when you step into a secret private place with the Lord and you open up your life and God literally begins to speak to the deepest part of you, there's a love relationship that begins to happen. There's an exchange that begins to happen. And by the time it's over, you're pregnant. This is God's description this is how it's supposed to work. And, and, and that's why when, when we think about the fact that every word from the Lord, every scripture is God-breathed. It's an intimate exchange. It's as if you have an opportunity to open yourself up and God does like he did to Adam and just breathe something where it just takes part of who you are and it begins to weave itself through every part of, of your body, all your DNA begins to absorb the fact that God's speaking to me and God's doing something in my life. This is what the Christian has the privilege of experiencing. Now, with that as a really rich foundation, we're going to kind of keep carrying that nuance. Let, let me give you four practical truths in the time we have left about how do we begin to get into the secret place so that we can study God's word, so that we can share those intimate secrets, so that we can share with him and we can hear him share things with us. If I can keep on that, that, that metaphor we created so we can become pregnant with the word of God, knowing that that will continue to develop as we stay with God. And at some point that will become flesh. It's no longer in secret. Now it's in full view. Here's truth. Number one, we have to come to God's word relationally. We have to come to God's word relationally. Now, this is what it means when 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, listen, and is profitable and is profitable. Again, we tend to think profitable in, in these rote, kind of, you know, uh, almost standardized, well, we're, we all got to be in the cookie cutter of what it means to be, you know, to be in the family of God. And, and there's truth to that, softly, warmly, never legalistically, never in a cold, you know, regimented kind of a way, but there's truth to that. But this word profitable is really important because it actually means something that is deeply, intimately, personally beneficial. In fact, let me add Galatians chapter 4 to it. Paul's wrestling with the Galatians church that they were born in this deep, intimate, wonderful relationship with the Lord, and then little by little just began to lean more towards being rule followers. They were leaning back into legalism, and in the first part of the book, he's, he kind of scolds me. He says, what happened? Who lied to you? Who tricked you into going back to this thing where you're stacking all these rules and you forgot all about the relationship? But listen to what he's saying in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, and because you are sons and daughters, okay, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In other words, because you're legitimately born in the, fa born in the family, you've been born into God's kingdom, come through the spiritual birth canal, and you were born a second time, as real as you were born in some hospital somewhere, and you became part of an earthly family, you were born in the spiritual hospital, and God stepped into the waiting room and said, I got a son. I got a daughter. You were legitimately born in his family. 
And the Bible says, because of that, you carry the same spirit, the same essence that Jesus did, who understood the intimate, the deep connection, the personal belonging to a heavenly father to the point that he used the most tender term with his heavenly father. And he said, Abba, father, it's an Aramaic statement. That would be something like us just saying, daddy, daddy. And he felt that connected and that personal. And he says, this is really who you are. But listen to verse seven. He says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Well, let me just grab a couple of these terms so you can really get this, all right? When we look at the word slave, this is the Greek word doulos. And there's about four or five different descriptions of slaves in the New Testament. But this one's at the bottom of the barrel, this particular word for slave, or we might say a servant, this particular word describes a slave that is so completely engulfed in their master's bidding that they literally don't have any thoughts of their own. They don't dream anymore. They don't think anymore. They don't have any aspirations, any feelings of their own. Everything is just got to do what the master says, 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 got to do what the master says. And their whole life is completely absorbed in that. And he says, You're, that's not how you are. Although, did you know that many Christians, I'm tempted to say most Christians, that's how they think it is. That's certainly how they approach their devotion time. Right? I've, I've got to read this. I've got to read it all. I've got to get something really good. Not because there's a Theonustus exchange, but because that's how I know God will be proud of me. That's how I know that God will really love me because I did something to serve him. I did the master's bidding. I came in. I checked some boxes and I did it, you know, with, with as much of my heart as I could. I checked some boxes and I did this. And if you're the person who's doing your devotion because you got to do your devotion because that's what the Lord wants you to do. That's what the Lord needs you to do. And you're doing this and you haven't figured out how to come and bring your whole heart. Listen, you're a slave. And you'll always carry that slave mentality to everything else. Well, I just got to do what the Lord says. I don't know if he's ever going to do anything for me because I'm probably not doing it good enough and I'm not doing it. And, and you're, but you're just going to carry that in, right? All the way into eternity, you'll go to heaven, but all the way into eternity with this slave mentality, trying to earn the favor and earn the trust of the Lord. And that's the whole thing that, the, that Paul was telling the Galatians, what are you doing? You were free from this. And you've kind of gone right back into it. But notice he says, you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then you're an heir. And the word son here is used three times in these two verses. It's always the Greek word huis. And it's really important that we understand that because this particular word is not just talking about the blood relationship. It's describing the position of dignity, the position of favor, the position of acceptance that a son has in a household, especially when he's in a submitted relationship with his heavenly father, no, not fighting against him, not rebelling, but he, he just so confident that dad loves him. He's so confident. No, this really, this, my house really belongs to me. He can go open the fridge anytime he wants. He can go to the pantry. He can borrow dad's stuff and dad's tools, you know, uh, assuming or understanding that he'll bring it back in good condition. Dad understands, you know, listen, he's got a lot of liberties and he takes them without any kind of a struggle because he understands that this whole position of dignity. Do you know that's the way that God tells us to come to our devotion? Not as a slave. Well, I got to do this or God's going to be mad at me. No, no, as a son, as a daughter, 
who's coming into the secret place. Dad, I have some things I want to share with you. By the way, uh, today's going to be kind of a difficult conversation because I don't want to be here. I'm already feeling guilty because I missed the other two days. I'm so stressed. I'm so frustrated. I'm not even sure where you're at. I mean, just coming and being honest. But, but I'm coming because I know that this is the source where you'll remind me how loved I am. You'll remind me how accepted I am. I need you to breathe something into my life today that will not just clear my mind, but will go all the way down and turn the lights on like you did with Adam in the first place, that I'll be alive again. And I'll begin to understand something. See, these, these are the things we're invited as a son and a daughter to know we're already loved and we're already accepted. So start living like that. Be vulnerable. Be honest with him and, and ask him, I need you to do things for me that I can't do for myself. And there's not another person on the face of the earth that can speak deep enough to do this. This is what the Bible says and what it means when it says, come relationally, know who you are in Christ. Okay, Hebrews 4, 16, we've gone over that. You can look at it again. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Get all the mercy you need. There's so much of it, you can never exhaust it. But then stick around and keep in the conversation and find out some of the graces that he has to not just forgive you, but also to load your life, to replenish, to, re, to restore and to realign your life. This is what God really wants. Here's number two. Ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. And that's what the scripture means in 2 Timothy 3.16 when it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, but notice the first thing it's profitable for doctrine. And this word doctrine is really important because it's the Greek word that really encompasses any kind of teaching, any kind of, uh, of instruction that will form our, our belief system or form the bedrock of the principles that we live in. And this is especially true in the nuance uh, when, when about how things are applied to our life. So it's not just getting smarter, it's actually learning on a day-by-day -day basis, hey, we need to lean this way. Today I'm gonna be working on this and, and I'm gonna move forward in this season for the last couple of weeks. The Lord's been reminding me and speaking to me to strengthen myself in this or that. And it's all about the doctrine. And that's part of what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter two. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter two, he says, but as it is written, I has not seen, stop, We'll read another verse in a little bit to qualify that he's talking about your natural vision, okay? That could be the eyes of your mind, right? The eyes of your understanding, but anything that has to do with the natural part of us, how smart are you, how educated are you, how experienced are you, or are you looking at life through keen eyes? He said, eyes, natural eyes have not seen, nor have ears heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. Again, he's talking about that secret place, the deep, deep part. There are things at times that God will share with us in the secret place that we know that we know that we know just because we know them. We can't explain that to anybody. And, and we know we get there because it's hard because we, when we're carrying on something, and I'm telling you, we are so pregnant. We can feel the movements and the kicking all day long. And, and sometimes we get into certain things and, and we eat certain things and, and now we're uncomfortable. It gives us indigestion. We used to be able to eat that all day long, but something's growing inside of us and it shifted our appetites and shifted our, our, the way we digest and we process stuff and all those things. But sometimes it's really hard to explain that to people. You just know that you know that you know that's the secret place. But the Bible says there are things that God wants to share with you that will never find the secret place. You might deeply ponder them. 
You might even make some commitments to adjust certain things of your life or adopt a new philosophy, one, one that's more comprehensive and better suited for today's culture, but you'll never get that down into the secret place. And he goes on and he says, the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but listen to verse number 10. It says, but God has revealed them to, our, to, uh, to us through his spirit. This word reveals one of my favorites. For all the years that I've been studying the word of God, it's one of my favorites. It's the word apocalypto. And, and literally, it's just a picture of maybe you're in a room and, uh, and there's a window there, but the window's got a big curtain and somebody walks in the room and says, hey, come here, check this out and pulls back the curtain and you get to look out there and realize, wow, there's a big world out there. There's so much more going on out there. You could not see that until the curtain was pulled. Listen, the Bible says that God knows the thoughts that he thinks for you. God has plans. God has connections. God has ways. God has resources. God has so many things that are behind the scenes. You can't see any of them. You're sitting here in your circumstance. I just don't know how. I, and, and that's true. I don't see how I can do. I, I, I've thought and thought. I, 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 there's no way that I can. I know. And then you're in the secret place and God says, hey, watch this. And he pulls back the curtain. And, and I used to think, Lord, the secret place is like this big, wonderful kingdom box, right? It's your bag of tricks. It's all your great and wonderful stuff. Pull back the curtain and let me see into this. I want to see into the things of the kingdom. And the more I studied it, all of a sudden it dawned on me one day, oh, I'm in the box. My life is framed in in this tiny little four by four. And, and that's all I can think. That's all I can understand. I'm living day by day. I'm living, you know, scenario by scenario. Well, if this happens, then maybe that can happen. And, and if that can happen, then maybe this can happen. But if this happens and that happens, then I don't know how this can. And I'm living in all these little tiny things. And the Lord pulls back a curtain and says, you have no idea. No idea how I can make all of these things happen for you because I promised you. And it says apocalupo, and it says this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. In fact, this is why he keeps writing later on in verse 14. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. For their foolishness to him, nor can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And that word know is another really important one. It doesn't mean to know something intellectually. It means to know it so deep down in your knower that it now becomes part of what you've experienced. And you can tell people, I don't know how this works. I can't explain it to you from a logical point of view, but I can tell you from, from the truth of walking with the Lord all these years, listen to me, this is how God, God works. And I've experienced it. I know it like I know my own name. You can't talk me out of this. It's a knowing that's now become woven into the fabric of who you are. And the Bible says you're only going to get there if you'll spend time letting God out of his theonoustos breathe his word into you. That comes by, by reading the word of God and renewing our mind. But even that can only be an intellectual exercise. We have to say, Lord, breathe this deep into the deepest part of who I am so that I can have that exchange with you. And this is what the Bible promises here. Let, let me just say this, and then we're going to go to point number three, and, and we'll quickly wrap these, these last two up. I, I'm absolutely convinced of this. Now, I don't know that I would hear everybody say this. Uh, and I think I could build a case in the word of God, although I don't know that I've intentionally studied to put one together. But, but I'm absolutely convinced of this based on my study of God's word, based on what I've seen and experienced from the character of God, and based on I don't know how many thousands of conversations 
that I've had with people in pastoral ministry, I'm personally convinced that God is speaking all the time. I don't just mean random thoughts. I don't just mean God has a lot to say and he just, you know, he's just one of those people you meet and they're just talking, talk, they'll talk to themselves, just talk, 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 and you're like, uh, you can't walk away because they're, they're in a full conversation and nobody's there. I'm not talking about that. God is talking to us all the time. I, I, I even, I, I'm even convinced that every single person on the earth has heard God. I don't think anyone's going to stand in front of the judge or the earth and say, well, you never talked to me. Oh yeah, thousands of times. Now, I don't think a lot of these people know it's God, but I think that a lot of them do know it's God. Now, listen to me. They may not see it as the God we serve. Maybe they know it's, a, it's their conscience. They know something on the inside is talking to them, and they should do this. They really need to begin to lean into that. But listen to me, Christians and people that are, haven't met God yet, they're hearing from God. I'm confident about this, but, but listen, let, let this soak in. And if it warmly corrects you, then, then go with the correction, okay? I think the problem is most people don't want the responsibility of the message that they're hearing. I don't want to wrestle with that. I'm too tired right now. That's too painful for me. But that's secret place stuff, right? The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. If they really love you, they're going to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter five, uh, chapter four, rather. They're going to speak the truth in love. They're going to look for the right time in the right place with the right motive. I mean, with as much love and grace as they can, but they're going to tell you the truth because they love you. And that's secret place stuff. And we have to be really careful when, when we're hearing God's voice. I mean, I, I, I would say if, if you come just with a halfway open heart, it's impossible for you to get an atmosphere of worship and an atmosphere of the word of God and not hear God every single time. But we don't pay attention. We don't pay attention. Now, now that, when, when you begin to understand what we're talking about, this is a pregnancy that God can do something supernatural beyond what you've tried to do for decades. And God can pull this off and it literally takes on flesh and other people are like, oh my goodness, how in the world? Uh, I know, right? When you understand what's at stake here and how much God really loves you and that you're not a slave, but that you're a son who has all the dignity and the privilege and the opportunity to have this intimate relationship with God and access to all that he has for you. When you begin to understand that, then all of a sudden you realize that's a really big mistake when he begins to whisper something and you keep brushing it off. But we do it because we don't think about it in the moment how precious it is. Here's truth number three, and this kind of leads to this. Humble your heart to receive instruction, wisdom, and correction. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture has been given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine. But notice there's three other things that begin to unfold for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Let me just read to you from the message translation because I think it explains those three things fairly well. And then we don't have, we don't have to kind of go through them and study them, but the message translation says it's profitable for a doctrine for exposing our rebellion, for correcting our mistakes, and for training us to live God's way. 
Now, as soon as we start thinking about those are not pleasant experiences, at least not two of them, and they're not things we look forward to, and our human nature, you know, like Adam and Eve in the garden, to hide behind the trees, to hide behind the leaves, because we don't want to be confronted, we don't want to be corrected. Our human nature is to find something to hide behind so we don't have to have these conversations. And that's why the author of Hebrew wrote this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children. And these are the the children that he loves passionately. And here's what he said. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. In other words, the very reason why God's speaking to you is because he loves you. Otherwise, he's like, hey, your choice, do whatever you want. Mess your whole life up. Go ahead, make wrong decisions. Cause yourself a lifetime of pain. In fact, pass it on to the next generation. Go ahead, just mess it all. He will not do that. He loves you, so he's speaking, speaking. Please, please listen to me. Please, I need you to adjust. Please, let me partner. I can strengthen that. I can heal that. Listen, let me pull back the curtain. I've got so many different opportunities. I've got things behind the scenes, people that I can tug on their heart right now, and you'd step into an opportunity that you think the door is shut, and you'll never be able to experience that. Are you kidding me? I've got 10 different opportunities right now. That I could just, right now, I, I could begin to twist people's heart just, just to touch them a little bit and you'd be getting phone calls saying, hey, I was thinking about you the other day. Please let me help you. And the Bible says we, we, we shouldn't take that lightly. We should let the Lord begin to correct us. But verse 11, he's not finished. He's honest with us and he says, now let's be honest. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Of course it is. We don't like that. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in the way. Like any good father, God has this plan that's bigger than you can imagine. And God wants to see you be and have all that he's created you to be and have. But again, like any good father, he's got to raise you right so you're shaped and matured so that when he tosses you the keys to the car, so that when he begins to walk you into a greater level of freedom, so when he gives you opportunities to be educated and strengthened and, and, and it's going to take some study and some work that you'll be mature enough to recognize the benefit and you'll step into them and take advantage of them. You won't let them ruin you. You'll let them grow you and shape you and enhance you. Every good parent knows this. Every good parent's working to, to shape their kids so they can be contributing members of society and move forward and grow and develop. God's trying to do the same. Here's truth number four and we'll finish right here. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to commit yourself to apply God's word to your life. Last time I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 uh, and verse 17. I think you ought to know it by now. I think you won't read this verse anymore and it's just stagnant, it's just sterile. Well, you know, that's just part of the syllabus and yeah, of course, all, God's word is our standard. I, I think you can pull some stuff out of this now, but it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here's the grand finale. This is the why behind the what. Verse 17. So that the man or the woman of God may be complete. Everything God called you to be. And thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, here's the catch here. God's word only works to the degrees you're willing to apply it. 
It's a familiar scripture, and let me just let this echo in your hearing as we close. James chapter one, verse 22 says, but don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. But can, can, can you see the pattern? Don't just listen to the word of God. Whoa, whoa, don't just, but you gotta start by listening. God's speaking. God's trying to get something across to you. And then as you begin to say, yeah, I, I, I hear that, Lord, and, and I'll accept that. Yep, I'm, I'm going to write that down in my journal, and, and I'm going to ask you to help me now to begin to understand that as you stay in conversation, and he says, well, here's what I want you to start. I want you to start right here. And you begin to say, okay, and you begin doing what he's asking you to do, then God goes to work. And as God goes to work, then at some point, you know, you, you don't get the, yeah, but the Lord promised me, how come it isn't coming to pass yet? You'll begin to see progress and process and development until one day you'll wake up and say, God did everything he promised he would do. He never disappointed me. He did so much more. In fact, Ephesians 3.20 says, if we'll get on this, then the Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly more and abundantly far beyond anything you've ever asked or anything you've ever blue sky dreamed, imagined. God has wonderful plans for you. So let me just sum it up. In order for God to speak to us in the secret place and us to have this, listen, the first thing you have to do is you have to come to God relationally. Realize you're already loved. He, he wants you to be there. He's so excited that you're there. It blesses. And number two, you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to open your spiritual eyes and your ears so you can see and hear what God's saying. Can't just read it like a textbook. You'll get smarter about the Bible. But it won't do anything for you down here unless you're asking the Holy Spirit to help with that. Here's number three. You got to humble your heart and be willing to receive. Because not all of it's going to be warm, fuzzy compliment. But it will all be wrapped in the love and the affection of God. I need you to adjust this. I need to talk to you about that. I, I know it's painful. You don't want to talk about it. But come on, just trust me enough to slide it out here. And let's talk about that because I, I want to get that done. I want to get that healed up in your life. And then the last thing is you have to have a heart to apply God's word to the best of your ability. As we begin to do this, and listen, I'm telling you what will happen. You'll begin to sense God speaking deeply into your life. And you'll begin to experience one after another after another your own little Bethlehems. You'll wake up one morning and some little obscure situation that you're in, all of a sudden the word of God becomes flesh. And you're like, God did it. I don't know how he did it because nobody knew I was there. I'm in this little tiny place and nobody's even paying attention. And yet God did it. He birthed another rescue in my life again. And your life just keeps growing and growing and growing. That's what the Bible means when it says, come into the secret place. Let God talk to you. Talk back to him and watch the miraculous thing that God does in your life. Don't forget, if you haven't started 30 for 30, you have to pick up one of these cards. Get started with us. God's going to teach you how to do this. He's talking to you. He wants to talk to you. And God will meet, right, meet you right where you're at. Stand to your feet and let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it's true, not just because it's written and established on a page, but it's true because it came straight from your heart and you're not about to change your mind. Thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus that you packaged it and you deliver it fresh like bread, like manna every single morning to us. You have things you want to share with us and things you want to encourage us and affirm us in. Holy Spirit, you came to lead us in the truth. We certainly need help. If there's anybody here this morning, Holy Spirit, that has never accepted you, then I pray 
that you would lean into them in the moment of tenderness and convince them today's the day to make that decision, to let you in. Let God begin to clean and heal and restore and help them. Lord, if there's anybody that feels far from God, just pull them close. Pull them close in a moment of tenderness as they open their heart and draw an eye to you. Run to them and wrap your arms around them. For the rest of us, Lord, please help to strengthen and sustain us and to keep drawing closer and closer to you so that we can experience Bethlehem where the word becomes flesh in our life. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.